book two part two of susan by ernest oldmeadow this librivox recording is in the public domain dieppe part two sunday nine a m i've slept like baby twins such a sweet morning i got up at seven and took susan with me to low mass the sunlight streaming through the windows of the choir was divine how different this latin mass in france from last sunday morning service in traxelby church at traxelby we are always so orderly so dignified here at dieppe the people grab each a chair and put it down where they like so that they're all higgledy piggledy instead of sitting in decorous ranks and rows and except for the gospel and credo and the canon they make no pretence of sitting and standing and kneeling according to any fixed usage or principle some seem to be following the proper in their missals while others just pray or think or finger their beads susan says they behaved dreadfully and that it didn't seem a bit like proper church i felt differently the roughness and freedom and individuality were less soothing than our elegant orderliness at traxelby but the realities that underlie religion seemed nearer and warmer these faithful dieppois looked more like the men and women of old who thronged the hillsides of palestine and sat down entranced upon the grass and they looked less like that chilly respectable dull-souled thing how shall i put it perhaps it's this they looked more like the multitude of the gospels and less like a congregation if i were not already an excommunicate heretic and schismatic i should have surely lost my soul for my inattention to mass i couldn't help comparing this sunday with last last sunday alice was with me as in the old days and susan hadn't had her letter and gibson hadn't talked to me in the garden everything was orderly dignified low-pulsed soothing like last sunday's matins in traxelby church but to-day susan's letter is a fact so is gibson's oath and ruddington is at the cheval d'or my life is suddenly disordered just as traxelby church would be if these dieppois were suddenly turned loose among the chairs yet i'm not sure that last sunday was better realities glowing human realities have suddenly began to crowd living and breathing all around me just as i felt reality warm and near in the rough and unpunctiliously celebrated mass i couldn't help thinking some odd thoughts as i looked at one little panel of a stained window over my head it showed a kneeling girlish figure in white with long yellow hair on her right was a bishop coped and mitred extending his hand and on her left was a loutish leering fellow with a steel cap and a sword i'm not an ecclesiologist enough to know what it was all about possibly it meant the soul being strengthened by the sacraments against the onslaughts of the world more probably it was in praise of some virgin martyr but the odd thing was that if the yellow-haired rather insipid damsel had had more colour in her cheeks she would have been the image of susan the large-mouthed large-eared large-limbed brute who was tempting or threatening her was not wholly unlike the cur at the cheval d'or most amazing and haunting of all the bishop with his youthful keen honest manly wholesome clean-shaven face was simply a coped and mitred gibson here they are bringing the coffee in cups never mind on tuesday i shall be drinking it with a big normandy soup-spoon out of a little normandy bowl noon he has tracked us down coming away from high mass at st remy we walked slap into him in the grande rue 
i could have boxed susan's ears for her ridiculous goings-on such flushings and flutterings and scurryings can't possibly have been seen in the town before yet as we came back to the astor by the zigzagest route i could find she positively turned her head twice of course he was following i'm quite prepared to find he secured the next table to mine for lunch what worries me isn't so much to-day's meetings it's to-morrow's if we can't dodge him at dieppe how shall we manage at st veronique then there's my ridiculous promise to our poor young bishop gibson i'm forced to acknowledge that alice is right i'm neither old enough nor wise enough to keep up traxelby and go travelling abroad with no companion save susan it looks strange and it doesn't work if this creature is indeed lord ruddington i don't trust him to deal honestly by susan in that case gibson is just the man for the job once let me be sure that it's ruddington and gibson shall have his telegram within half an hour half past three i've laughed and i've cried to think that all last night and all this morning i fully believed we were deep in act three of a tragedy act one miss langley's boudoir at traxelby grange act two the grange garden and that when i walked into the salle a manger for dejeuner and saw the brute in grey at a corner table my mind was so prepared for an ultimate act three that the only uncertainty was as to whether gibson would do it with a revolver or with a knife it isn't act three and there isn't any tragedy it turns out to be merely the comic relief of a melodrama he was already lunching when i sat down with susan at my table of course i placed susan with her back to him but i didn't notice at first that i had also placed her opposite a mirror wherein she could look at him far better than i could myself he was too far off for me to hear him clearly but i made out that he insistently addressed his english waiter in lamentable french i hung my head for my country and its aristocracy and thought more meanly than ever of its public schools he consumed a succession of expensive dishes and his plate was ostentatiously flanked by a bottle of champagne it's a whole bottle miss whispered susan regarding it with reverence in the mirror not one of those little ones if you can see him he can see you susan i said severely whoever he is he can be no gentleman to follow you like this eat your cutlet and keep your eyes on your plate and don't dawdle i want to go upstairs again as quick as we can for one nasty moment susan hung on the very brink of rebellion but habit or coquetry or self-interest or pure obedience or genuine modesty prevailed and she answered with perfect meekness very well miss i'm ready now it spoilt my lunch but i got up and we both went out i asked for coffee and the french timetable to be brought into the drawing-room where he wasn't likely to come there i sat down to work out plans in quiet but the quiet didn't last within five minutes his large voice broke out angrily in the hall susan shivered on the lounge beside me his clamour was like the vicious baying of an extra-sized wolf newly cheated of a nice young lamb oh miss moaned susan as white as a sheet he's coming in here whatever shall i do sit still i snapped hold your tongue let us listen straining my ears i discerned that the noise was a composite one and that the three chief contributors were the brute in grey the waiter and some third party probably the manager it's a blank swindle roared the grey one the blank stands for something far worse than damned 
i told the gentleman it was a la carte put in the waiter you're a common impostor said the manager i edged along the lounge and peeped through the half-open door the grey one was standing with his legs apart like the colossus of rhodes too much meat and drink had combined with anger and fear to turn his evil face nearly purple at a safe distance stood the waiter pale and excited with the grey one's bill on a silver salver two other waiters and the porter were massed across the doorway in case the grey one should take to his long horrid legs the manager implacable and contemptuous leaned against the office door what's all this beastly row about asked one of the guests of the hotel a young englishman coming irritably out of the salle à manger i'm deeply sorry sir this gentleman said the manager with a withering look at the grey one has eaten his luncheon and doesn't want to pay for it he won't pay echoed the waiter feebly it's a blank lie bellowed the grey one i will pay i want to pay but i'm not going to be blank well swindled it's the same as knocking me down and going through my blank pockets and i'll see you in hell before i stand it another young englishman came out and joined the first what's up he asked dunno exactly answered his friend waiter says this chap's trying on a bilk chap himself says they've rooked him on his lunch the gentleman would talk french said the pale waiter gaining courage i don't know french nor he don't neither i told him it was a la carte as soon as he pointed to the cantaloupe it's a bare-faced robbery cried the grey one swearing dreadfully but it's no use trying it on me my uncle knows france as well as he knows battersea park and what did he tell me that you don't pay more than three or four francs in france for a dinner fit for a lord why even in the french restaurants in soho you don't pay more than eighteen pence for five courses the manager made a gesture of scorn and despair perhaps you'll tell us why you ordered a cigar and a whole bottle of veuve Gricot, he asked don't go cross-examining me roared the grey one i know the rope so don't you forget it everybody knows that in france wine's cheaper than beer that's it chuckled one of the young englishmen gaily wine's cheaper than beer and therefore fizz is cheaper than bottled ale there you are cried the grey one in triumph and as for your blank old cigar you don't have me there either one of the fellows at our place came back from france only last week at least it was holland he'd been to but it's all the same and what did he pay for the cigars he smuggled back three for tuppence beauties yet here it is in your blank bill cigars one franc i say it's you've said all i'm willing to listen to retorted the manager as the two young englishmen went back to their feeding for the last time are you going to pay i'll pay six francs and not a penny more muttered the grey one distinctly frightened you'll pay your bill said the manager decidedly the total is thirty-one francs seventy-five centimes i can't have our guests annoyed by a minute's further argument i recommend you to save yourself from very unpleasant consequences all the fight went out of the grey one suddenly he gazed wistfully at the door which was still held in force by the menials then he fumbled in his pockets i can't he muttered sulkily i haven't got the money i've only got twenty-four francs and they'll be my bill at the cheval d'or the cheval d'or echoed the manager 
if you're at the cheval d'or what the deuce have you come lunching here for to meet some friends said the grey one brazenly they're staying in the hotel the manager was perturbed what friends he asked two ladies the grey one replied within the next minute the two ladies names would have been asked for and no doubt the hard-pressed brute would have given mine i pulled the door open wide and stepped into the hall i can't help hearing i said you talk so loud what ladies do you mean he jumped then he stood stark as if he had been struck by lightning perhaps madame knows something of this affair the manager began in french only a little i replied in english all i know is that this by the way hadn't you better ask his name and address my name he said wretchedly is lamb john lamb i'm head clerk at phipps brothers the timber merchants amelia road shepherd's bush you'll have heard of phipps brothers he added imploringly all i know of mr john lamb i went on is this he stared at us all the way from new haven he spied about reading the names on our labels he pushed himself on us at the customs he followed us to the cheval d'or and practically drove us out of the rooms we had taken he has dogged us through half the streets in dieppe this morning lastly he has given us the honour of his company at lunch the manager was about to work up for my benefit a polite adequacy of fiery indignation but mr john lamb forestalled him plucking up courage he retorted impudently well and what if it's true we aren't in england are we everybody knows they're more free and easy in france the manager was loaded and primed for an explosion but i got in another word didn't i give you a broad enough hint at the customs i asked yes he said coarsely you did but what about the other young lady let her come out here fair and square and say if she didn't egg me on tisn't my fault for thinking i was in for a soft thing you're not to blame of course you've snubbed me right enough all along no error to tell the truth ma'am i thought you were sick because it was the other young lady i was struck with and not you what possessed him to add this insult to injury when he was actually in the lion's mouth only himself knows it wasn't courage for he had suddenly gone paler and shakier than before probably he was clinging in desperation to a last mad hope that he had indeed made a conquest of the other young lady and that she would rush out in my wake to intercede for him and to set him free as i turned round and took my first step back to the drawing-room the manager exploded like a thousand bombs how the grey one managed to stand unconsumed amidst those lightnings of wrath and thunderings of menace i can't conceive as to his past the grey one learned that he was directly descended from a long line of cads rogues jailbirds and impostors and as to his future it appeared that the greater part of it after he had been soundly kicked thrashed and horsewhipped was to be spent in a french prison while this fiery storm was blazing and smashing around his grey cloth cap i neither saw mr john lamb of phipps brothers nor heard him he took it lying down in the end it turned out that mr lamb was possessed of an english sovereign and the return half of a weekend ticket as well as his twenty-four francs he paid and was flung forth into the sunshine with just enough to face madame legendre and to keep himself alive until the boat starts for england in the dark and the cold a little after midnight
from his final and ardent but fruitless plea that the manager should accept the deposit of his watch and ring and allow him to send a post-office order from england to redeem them i gathered that this was mr lamb's first visit to france that he has got leave from phipps brothers till wednesday morning and that mrs lamb doesn't expect him back to amelia road until tuesday night i'm sick of writing about the creature so i'll stop yet if i chance to wake up about three o'clock to-morrow morning with the air nipping and the wind blustery and the moon overcast i'm not sure that i shan't think of mr john lamb and feel just a tiny wee bit sorry for him End of book two, part two.